With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash. Planning an international trip and want to learn the language of your destination? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today. Hey everybody, it's your uh, psychic power having kidnapped girl, uh, Wizard Holden McNeely. And it's your leaf on the wind, happy-go-lucky, fun jokester. Aw, everyone's sad now. (laughs) (laughs) And today we have a very special guest uh, from Murder Fist, and do you want us to talk about the dad? Yeah, sure. Yeah, and the, the dad. dad Dad.com. The dad.com. Um, uh, the dad.com uh, Jared Warner. Jared, you're a uh, Confederate space soldier without the racism. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. What if, guys, what if the Confederacy without all the whoopsie doodles? Oh, man. <laughs> what if the Confederacy had actual grievances? <laughs> <laughs> or any merit whatsoever. <laughs> That's right. Today we're talking about Firefly and um, today's episode is a Patreon sponsored episode from Ryan Taylor. Ryan Taylor, thank you so much um, who uh, had this to promote. Jedi Dropouts Productions is a Newfoundland based podcasting network built around multiple shows that deal in the world of geekdom. Anime, movies, video games, comic books, we cover it all. Besides, have you always wanted to hear people you've never heard of from a place you've never uh, heard of talk for hours on end about the franchises you love the most? I'll listen um, to hey, a it's newfie- like us. I'll listen to a newfie <laughs> talk about anything, man. They got the funnest accents. All Jedi Dropouts production shows can be found at jedidropouts.podbean.com. That's jedidropouts.podbean.com or wherever you listen listen to your podcast also quick side note if you also donated on patreon for a firefly episode and didn't hear your name just now don't worry we'll get to your episode eventually because you gave us other options (laughs) so don't be weirdly confused that we did an episode on firefly and didn't say your name we'll get to yours when we when we can thank you so much everybody and um let's start off with the gush i got nothing what? I oh, know. No. I no, no, slept no. on it. I slept yeah, on it. Yeah, we all slept on it. But then, like, in college, someone handed, like, maybe <laughs> a girl who still wore braces put the DVDs in your hand was like, and was oh, like, you have to watch this. <laughs> I uh, I don't understand how I slept on it. I've been told time and time again. And it's very devourable. I'm already, like, I've already seen almost half of it. <laughs> like, so just doing research of for the show. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, four, I think, right? And a solid hour and a half yeah. of Firefly <laughs> And um, uh, so I'm like, oh, I'll probably finish watching it because it's, yeah, it's that easy to uh, 
to take down, and it's all on Hulu, by the way, which is fantastic, so I didn't have to pay for it, a la carte. Um, and uh, I really enjoyed what I saw. It definitely, I get it. I get it in so many ways. I mean, it definitely has a dated feel to it in terms of the tech, in terms of CGI and things like that, for sure. Um, but it has such a unique and special vibe, and... Um, and unfortunately, we'll get into it, but, like, the pilot does a phenomenal job of getting, I think, a person on board. Mm -hmm. Too bad they didn't air the pilot <laughs> in order uh, where that you would do that. So instead, you're immediately thrown into this train heist episode uh, if you were watching it when it first aired, which is insane. We will get into all of that because that is, the I think, the central theme to this tale of woe that is Firefly is just the unbelievable bungling of this uh, franchise, uh, would-be franchise, uh, by Fox. But we'll talk about it. Jake, did you have any, before we get to Jared, the reason why Jared is here is to avoid the <laughs> DMs. Deathly silence that this yes. episode would be. Avoid the personal messages received by me uh, complaining about, you know, not no, having No, hold everything. on, Holden. Let's let you... Obviously, Jared's here because he's an actual fan, and <laughs> we needed someone with more history. But uh, let's watch you wriggle for a second. Please, just like... So you did watch a bunch of episodes. Yes. What stood out to you? What made it resonate? What made you go like, oh, I get why this is a thing? This is definitely helped by knowing that they all loved working with each other but i and the, but the reason why i felt like the pilot does a great job of it introduces a very wonderful dynamic ensemble cast that all seem very competent and everybody seems like they have an interesting story to tell and they're going to have a very interesting arc and the chemistry is just there i'm yeah. ready to go at the end of that pilot i am on board the ship i am just like let's okay we're, we're gonna we're gonna hang out with these people they're gonna have adventures they're gonna have relationships they're gonna have uh, 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 just there's just a million stories that could be told with this premise, and of course, the, everyone loves an underdog story, much less myself. I love the fact that this is this is again not to use the word bungle too much, but a kind of a bungling crew as well. Like like they're they're rough around the edges. They're you know very prone to making mistakes. Another thing that really stood out to me is like people get stabbed, yo, and people get <laughs> yeah. shot, and like shit goes down quick, and people get straight murked. <laughs> which is a m word for murder. <laughs> uh, and I yeah, like there's yeah. no uh, phaser set on stun in yeah, this universe. It is, man. It is like they they go there quick and, and fast. They and didn't even try to hide that the guns were like guns. Like they yeah. didn't even futurize. The, it's just uh -huh. like, here's a Colt 45. Yeah. <laughs> no, there's like some like doodads. They'll put a doodad on it sometimes. Be like, like oh, a little a fidget spinner. Yeah, literally. <laughs> and it's not just the space cowboy thing in the... Uh, like cowboy bebop sense mm -hmm. it is like no, no no it's a western it is you know when we're on the planet we're on horses mm -hmm. we're in a western mm -hmm. you know in a ton of ways also and uh more stuff that will be expounded on later just it's it's a dirty spaceship it's it's not clean it's it's a rugged uh world and it's and they're dirty and they're they're um you know prone to making mistakes and i i always enjoy and respect that approach to anything, right? The dynamics of a high technology scarcity society is yes. fascinating. Very interesting. And nobody really did that up until then. And I love that it's based on the book, we'll, and it will go more in, but the book Killer Angels is like one of my favorite books about the Civil War. And I think it's fascinating. And I love that that was like one of the big influences for Whedon to make the show. Um, and it makes so much sense because it, that story, the story of like, 
the South getting burned down at the end of the war, this whole rebuilding, and how the Old West came from these people who were essentially exiled from their own country, needing to um, survive and live on the outskirts of of society, is just all of it is a great premise for a show that should have lasted for many seasons. Oh, weird. This is a North Carolina (laughs) thing, because in New York, they would make us make kissy faces at a marble bust of Tecumseh Sherman. <laughs> We'd have to say, thank you, Mr. Sherman. Thank you, Mr. Sherman, for burning the people's houses down. Um, so do you have anything before we uh, let uh, Jared sort of ejaculate his thoughts about uh, Firefly all over uh, our listeners? Uh, no, but we should have a bonus series called Thought Ejaculations. <laughs> now, write it down. Um, the I watched it in college, loved it. Didn't like I just just like any other great TV show, like a good book you read once like it, I never I never really thought about it in those kind of heavy terms. But rewatching it just OK, like the joke is like, uh, you know, William Shatner or Mark Hamill just kind of had their one crazy role and then they get to milk it for all it's worth. And Nathan Fillion has that like he's he has that weird convention guy energy. It's just him and Alan Tudyk yucking it up. And just like signing autographs and like, you know, amassing social media followers. But watching it again with like fresh eyes, holy shit, he is so good in yes, this show. Yes, he's great. It is like that perfect, we talked about it in the Cowboy Bebop episode, like the nerd masculine dream, <laughs> which is, no, I'm not like a tough guy. I'm not like a hulking brute. I'm yes. not like a fuck beast. I'm not like this monster. I'm not perfect. I'm not perfect. I'm a goof. I, let, I make people feel ill at ease. I'll slip up on a banana peel. But if shit goes down, I immediately go into hunter killer mode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the jazz music starts playing and I start beating the shit out of everybody. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, let's speak to someone who wishes he could be Mal. Oh, uh, let's go in the spaceship. <laughs> Jared, uh, when did you discover the show? What's your history of, of, uh, of I, enjoying I it? I found the show after, so I wasn't one of the original like brown coats. So you I didn't the get to five be people. In the revolution that brought it. Back. Oh, dear. <laughs> um, we'll talk about that. <laughs> Shit. We will. I mean, God bless you if you are one of that shit, but God, we'll talk about it. I am really interested in how that started what we see now and how fandom works, which mm-hmm. is just like, I get to have what I say. But for this case, that movie rules, so I'm happy it happened. But I found it when I was studying in London, and I was just like desperate for American dumb culture. Like, you know, everything we saw over there was like very nice English plays, and it was great. <laughs> and I was just like, I need some guns and i need like loud explosions uh and the movie came out mm. while i was over there and i thought it looked cool serenity serenity yes um and i she would tell edgefort goes a, a romping <laughs> in my head what it's called. <laughs> the merry adventures <laughs> <Chiwetel>. <laughs> uh so then i thought it looked cool so i bought the dvds of the whole series and like within a week i'd seen the whole run of it and i was just immediate it was just like scratched that itch of just like I mean, uh, you know me. I'm a nerd for life. Star Wars, Star Trek. Like, put people who don't belong together on a spaceship working together. That is my absolute right. aesthetic. Yeah, I mean, you grew up with Star Trek, right? And, yeah. And Star Wars and all and that I stuff. And I feel like that also speaks to, like, ending up in uh, in Murder Fist, too. And mm-hmm. just Like, to me, the ideal lifestyle is, like, be someone who doesn't fit in except with a group of disjointed damaged people <laughs> yes. working together to do something cool yes. like star trek star wars firefly murder fist 
All the same basic premise. <laughs> <laughs> and and so you saw, and that's very interesting to me that you saw Serenity first. No, course, I did see the show first. Oh, you did see it I, first. I bought the DVDs, which then didn't work because they were the movie. English region DVDs. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so like I just had like DVDs that worked for three months while I was over there, and then I was like, I shouldn't have spent that money. <laughs> and so I watched it all leading up to the movie that I saw. Oh, okay. Because like, I was about to ask, like that must have been interesting seeing. The, because he did try to write the film in order to, to bring in people who hadn't even seen the show. So you must have been, like, so hyped for the film. Oh, yeah. It was like a tuning fork. Yeah. <laughs> Just, like, buzzing. Um, and that scene, too, the opening, and we can get to it. I'm sure we'll get to the movie more later. But, mm-hmm. like, that, the opening scene of Serenity is maybe, like, one of the smoothest ways to introduce an entire world concept mm-hmm. and all nine main characters yeah. in ten minutes. Uh-huh. like. You don't have to have any knowledge of the show. And I love how and, they open the show, too. Yeah. I mean, it's a pretty, it's a decently complex premise, mm-hmm. and they nail it with a really cool, like, smooth, um, what is it you need a, uh, all, all a man needs is, like, a ship and a gun, whatever. Oh, yeah. That whole thing, um, it's, like, this great, perfect brevity to bring us into this whole wild west sci-fi mm-hmm. space thing. Um, I yeah. uh, what um someone in one of what was it? I think it was on the bad sci-fi tenth anniversary special. Someone pointed this out in the roundtable, and I'm smacking myself for not getting it. But in that opening sequence in the Serenity episode, where there you know it's the war, uh, they show Mal doing specific things that like the war has robbed him of that represents every crew member. So like he kisses a cross, and that represents like a, huh. a Book. shepherd. Book. Yeah, yeah. Book. And like he starts making jokes, and that represents Wash, and like uh-huh. he's just—it's all weird. It's—it's amazing how, because I think the thing about TV shows, especially like long-running sci-fi shows, is the first season usually sucks ass. Yeah, they have no idea what they're doing. Like they, you know, uh, uh, Riker didn't even have a beard in no, the first, and season. they were all wearing like skin tight. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, terrible. Ter- There's the yeah. oil monster. The season Simpsons one sucks. The Simpsons <laughs> season one sucked. Yeah. Everything like everything worthy of love has to get its sea legs. But fucking Firefly emerged, fo- like hit the ground sprinting, and mm-hmm. that is an achievement. And unfortunately, and especially if you look back on it like we did, which is the intended order. But having to imagine the way that they completely fucked it up and put it all out in completely wrong order must have just been so confusing for the audience. Um, Do we want to get into everything that was hold was going against it, or will that like emerge in the story? Uh, we'll get there first. Okay. We got to start with the story of Joss Whedon. Uh, he was born named. Joseph. I'm sorry, it's pronounced Josh Whedon. Is it? No. <laughs> I was about to say. I'm like, how am I constantly fucking pronunciation? Joss Whedon. Uh, He was born named Joseph in NYC in 1964. Joss is the third generation of TV writers, which makes a shitload of sense. He... His grandfather, John Whedon, wrote for The Andy Griffith Show and The Dick Van Dyke Show, among others. His father, Tom Whedon, wrote on The Golden Girls, as well as Captain Kangaroo in the 80s, among other shows. This all convalesces very specifically into Joss Whedon. It is so perfect. And then it's like this and the bullying. Right. And then you get Buffy and (laughs) and everything else and Firefly and whatnot. Um, So uh, his mother was a teacher and an aspiring novelist and acted with her husband at the Harvard Radcliffe Dramatic Club. They did divorce, though, when Whedon was eight. She later remarried. um, 
and he loved Monty Python as a kid. He also loved this is and this is again like all right, Joss Whedon. He loved PBS's masterpiece series. That was of his. course he did. <laughs> That's why and he does all the Shakespeare in his house. That's how his first rehearsal with every cast is like we're to read Much Ado about nothing. <laughs> Um, didn't he wait? Did he do? Didn't he do that play? Uh, an adaptation? He, I I don't want to shit on it because like right. it's fine, but like he did the most like yeah sure you did version of it. <laughs> he literally just had all of his friends in their normal clothes mm-hmm. at his house just just doing read it. the play, That's and so they're funny. like, look, I've made this film. <laughs> <laughs> I have bestowed upon you this film. Uh, as a child, he felt like the oddball, God, which I can definitely relate. If to. you're if you're a director of any renown, don't do that shit. Because <laughs> for the rest of humanity, like we. Have to go like, oh yeah, Joss Whedon made Buffy the Vampire Slayer. He made Serenity. You made uh, Avengers. There was that one. Bitch there, there was there was the Much Ado about nothing. <laughs> and like then Kenneth Branagh and Emma Thompson with their like oh, opulent, yeah. gorgeous Much Ado. Yeah. Are like what the fuck is this? <laughs> um. So as I definitely relate to his childhood, he felt like the oddball, and he was also very lonely. And he would escape this disposition by using his imagination to go to parallel universes and create all these stories. I did the I did the same shit. I mean, so many lonely bored kids did, but you know, I, I remember taking my Ninja Turtles and. D- Directing essentially full movies oh, with them in my head. Um, I know you mean that. Yeah, he drew pictures and played with action figures and like wrote little stories. But I do like to imagine just as a child, Joss Whedon just fully dissociating limb lifeless on the floor. <laughs> and then hearing the dinner bell and just being like, oh, mac and cheese, great. <laughs> um, so, you, yeah. know, you know how people have the yeah. dinner bell in their homes? <laughs> Whedon said. Moss, Colin. <laughs> Whedon said, I spent a ton of time alone. I was raised by a feminist. I had a terrifying father and oppressively scary and mean brothers. We had a farm. The rule was between breakfast and lunch, you weren't allowed to make a sound. Quiet time is what we called it because my mom was writing. So what are you doing? You're either writing or you're eating or you're walking up and down your driveway creating giant science fiction universes and various elaborate vengeance schemes upon your brothers. Uh, he read a lot of comics uh, as well. Spider-Man, Fantastic Four, also a bunch of sci-fi books and whatnots, of course. Why, like, how the fuck would he not? And then create Firefly. Um, had a very rough time in the private school he went to, Riverdale High School, in upstate New York. So he joined his mother in 1980 on her sabbatical to England and went to the all-boys boarding school, Winchester College, <laughs> in England, where he was bullied mercilessly. Yeah. I, wow. That's, I did not know that part of the story. Mm-hmm. And the idea of escaping bullying by going to an English all-boys boarding school yes, is I uh, don't whoopsie-doodle. And as an American in it as well, too. I mean, that's just got to be... Um, a shock. I shall Let's write agree. women friends for myself. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. He did any. He, he. I uh, imagine he's. He was like even balder back then. <laughs> just a soft, bald American sensitive boy, just getting, just getting pelted with rugby balls. Sharing a room with twelve other British boys. Yeah. Very, oh, very rough. God, that poor dude. Uh, he said, "Oh, oh yeah, poor Joss Whedon." Back then. <laughs> uh, he said, I think it's not inaccurate to say that I had a perfectly happy childhood during which I was very unhappy. And I had a very painful adolescence because it was all very strange to me. It wasn't like I got beat up, but the humiliation and isolation and the whole existential, oh God, I exist and nobody cares thing about being a teenager were extremely
extremely pronounced for me, which makes a ton of sense because he would use all of that in his uh, future storylines for Buffy. That is like definitely an uh, uh, ongoing thing. Were you a Buffy fan? I did like Buffy. I like Buffy a lot. I, I Again, I slept on Buffy as well. I think I actually want to go back and – I mean, eventually I'm sure we're going to need to do an episode on it, but we I do want to eventually go back mm-hmm. and um, – I, uh, I'm yeah. surprised it hasn't happened already. Buffy's exactly so huge. right. So, uh, but you enjoyed that, and it was definitely explored, exploratory of of the pain of adolescence. It and, was, although I'm curious because you're just talking. He said something about like not ever getting bullied. And no, like, no, he said not physically. Oh, not getting beaten up. Yeah. For a second, it was just like, so what? You had to be like quiet in no, the morning. No, I think they and- just. Yeah, yeah right. No, <laughs> I think it was just more making fun of, gotcha, picking gotcha. on yeah. that sort of stuff. I, yeah, it's not like they like a uh, full metal jacket, like beat him with socks right. filled with soap. <laughs> <laughs> so then he goes to Wesleyan University in Connecticut for college. Uh, for wow, for a film studies degree. Uh, there he plays a ton of D and D to get through. Uh, he then goes to L.A. and moves in with his father to pursue independent filmmaking. Um, he changed his name to Joss, which is Chinese for luck. And, yeah. Kind of. Fuck that. But- <laughs> <laughs> so we're talking about Whedon, all right? No, He's great. I love him. Stuff. I love him. Yeah, yeah. No, but- it's, you know what it is? You want to make fun? You want to bully him? I don't. I want to bully him. No, you know what it is? It's just frustration <laughs> that realizing this guy got to use an entire bag of tricks that, yeah. like, as a society, we've all agreed since are bullshit. Right. He got away with it, though. He got away with it. He exactly. got in under the wire. It's. Uh, I mean, he's. I mean, feel. I feel like he was wearing a fedora up until yeah. five years ago. For sure. <laughs> For sure. He ends up getting a job at a video store, and he worked as a researcher at the Film Institute. And in 89 and 1990, he worked as a staff writer on Roseanne and then on Parenthood, which is based on the Steve Martin film, as well as an uncredited script doctor for films such as Speed, Waterworld, and Twister. And he said his first job came after a year in five spec scripts. And that, and this is frustrating to me, that he hadn't written anything substantial before that point or ever studied writing. Yep. But he did say that, you know, just growing up around his father and grandfather, he was inundated with the business. He knew it inside and out. You know, and he even said in a quote, which I don't think I pulled, he's like, people ask me how to get a career in writing, you know, for television and film. And he's like, well, just, you know, have a father and grandfather that literally gave you every fucking thing you needed to know about the business before getting into it um, whatsoever. And, you know, he quickly learned he... It was something that he didn't even realize he was passionate about until he got to L.A. and he just needed a job. And he was following his father's footsteps and just realized immediately how much he loved it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, and and Roseanne was his favorite show on TV at the time. I mean, Roseanne was fucking huge and, and was hey, doing – that's fat phobic. Was doing <laughs> – <laughs> and was it was doing something – on TV that like no one else was doing. It would be a dream job for someone starting out, uh, for sure. Except for the fact that Roseanne was fucking a cuckoo bananas. Um, so while on these jobs, he writes the screenplay for Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which he was able to sell to Sand Dollar Productions. And unfortunately for him, he really, really wanted to direct it himself, but he's never directed anything before, so they're like, go fuck yourself. Um, and so this director team. Uh, took the project on and it was financed by 20th Century Fox and he felt and I remember I saw that I saw Bubba Vampires it was like that it was kind of like Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead it was yeah, just it was always that, on TV like, 90s goofball horror comedy yeah thing. and it, it was like always on HBO and it makes a lot of sense watching his Buffy after the after the fact but he felt that they completely mishandled the script that uh, they made it into more of a pop culture comedy without any of the hip horror or emotional depth that he was going for which makes 
again, makes a ton of sense seeing what he would do with it. So funny because then he goes to redefine what pop culture – like I yes. would argue that everybody tries even subconsciously to make their scripts more Whedon-esque now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, 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 the Whedon effect is real. Yeah. They literally – fucking DC, their superhero universe was <laughs> flailing so hard that they just went ahead and was just like, hey, just smear your Whedon juice on, on this. Please give it to us. <laughs> Ew, what if everyone just raised their eyebrows and like said, uh, okay, Popeye the Sailor? <laughs> and I love that his answer for DC2 is just like, well, maybe just don't make Superman such a piece of shit. Yeah. <laughs> um, also, by the way, dude punched up on Toy Story. I yeah. Mean, dude yeah. Has... With a cowboy spaceman. Yes, with a cowboy spaceman. Uh, perfect. I didn't even think about that. So eventually he finally gets a call from Sand Dollar Productions. Um, an executive over there, uh, Gail Berman, in regards to turning Buffy into a TV series and convinced him to make a presentation film to pitch to execs. The WB picks up the show as a mid-season replacement. So again, underdog story. Always underdog story. You're talking about the WB network. The WB. Yeah, yeah <laughs> totally. Uh, Whedon cobbles together a talented crew um, and cast helmed by the relatively, at the time, unknown Sarah Michelle Gellar. Whedon said, uh, I look back at my work and see a rage-filled hormonal autobiography that spans over four different series, five now, and several films. There's lots of fear, lots of love, and confusion, and sex, and deep-seated anger at the bullies in of the world, be they corporations or demons. And Buffy just becomes hugely popular. Did you watch it? Jared, at the time of uh, like that, it was airing. I jumped something? on Buffy because the girl I had a crush on loved it. Ah, so I how Whedon esque? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think ninth grade. So I jumped on like right around season three. So I missed all the like Angel season two drama that made everybody like hard and wet and when they were okay. teenagers. Um, but I loved it, and then I fell off of it in college because. When she broke your heart. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and like, just, just <laughs> tried to destroy me. Uh, <laughs> and, um, yeah. And then I went back to it and rewatched the whole thing like, okay. after New York. So, like, cool. I loved, like, seasons three through five. And then, like, had to later go back and fill what in What was rest. it like going back to it? Did it resonate? Did it? It did. I still love it. I think the yeah. writing is so clever. I ended up liking parts way, like, when I was a teenager, I liked all the melodrama stuff. And like you know the the big adventure harrowing thing, and then rewatching it as an adult, my favorite season of Buffy was season I think it's four because that's when they just went balls out comedy. Like all the the villain is like this amazing goddess who's like a, this diva lady, and like all the action, like the the ditzy blonde becomes like a reoccurring villain, and like uh -huh. all their fights are hilarious, and okay. they do like slow motion action with like slap fights, and it's just like it just went full tilt. Like that's cool. It wasn't taking itself not seriously. It just was having way more fun. Yeah. And I realized it's like, oh, this is so much more interesting. When did they do Hush? Was that season four? Hush was four, yeah. Right? Okay, so that's when they're also just right. swinging for the fences in these really cool ways. And it creates Hush, by the way, an episode where I think uh, fully or at least the majority of it has no one dialogue. One line of dialogue at the There's very end. There's one line of dialogue at the yeah. very end. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, and that, that was nominated, I believe, for an Emmy as well. But you heard that. This they were they did a musical episode before mm -hmm. it was a thing that everybody did. <laughs> right, <laughs> uh, like it was really cool. I, I I had heard about these things. I was like, oh, I thought this was like some girl show for girls. Right, that's not for me at all. And it sounds like they're doing really cool stuff. So maybe I'm wrong, but 
I still have not gone or back. Or maybe and girl it out. stuff is cool for or everybody. Maybe girl stuff is cool for everybody. Huge Taylor Swift fan. I love. I love. Uh, yeah, I'm way into girl stuff now. But that was the funny thing. Looking back on it, I, I mean, this is a whole other conversation. But I wrote a lot of things off mm-hmm. because I thought they were girl things. And now I'm like, why did we have such As a did all of society? Yeah, why were we indoctrinated? Anyways, it's a whole other discussion. But it guys, is... masculinity is a prison, or unless you're a woman, <laughs> then it's you're probably being it's held a, prisoner. It's at least a performance. <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. Uh, so but it's all about those contradictions that I think. Not to mm-hmm. get you sidebarred, no, but no, like no. that's what leads into why Firefly I think works so well too. Is that like all of a sudden now it's like yes, you're goofball slapstick fighting next to the scariest thing I've ever seen on television. It's like layering these ideas of like, you don't have to stick to one One vibe. vibe, one thing. And and, and, and again, I think Firefly uh, had that female audience that not a lot of sci-fi shows. I think it was one of those first like quote unquote like nerd shows that was much more embracing of a female audience before it was like much more widely uh, just normalized because it it's, had uh, well, it's more it's than a little one more woman in it. Like, yeah, no, yeah, it's yeah. a little more complicated than that because women loved Trek, and that's like a that's weird true. undersold thing that people right. don't kind of like realize. Right, is like uh, you know when we uh, slash when we think of slash fiction, that's because women were so starved for like romance in this show that they loved that they just started writing stories where Kirk and Spock started kissing. So it was actually having a sci-fi series. That actually did have like a female audience in mind, or just yeah. pretended that, or just acknowledged they existed. Yeah, was 100%. just gave it that because uh, um, there's a uh, documentary uh, that I'm just gonna flat out say is boring and not very good. <laughs> Tell me more. Uh, called Done the Impossible. It was like self financed by brown coats about like the fandom, and there are so many women that were a part of this, like that level of tenacity and organizing and um uh it, the the reason okay here's i'm, You're, I'm just remembering place. that's so what's happened with star trek too like all the original fan conventions were women yeah led. i just remembered all that that's crazy. um what it is is when you think about firefly and the brown coats as like oh hey this was like a real precursor to like internet fandom culture it's because women organize women are driven women communicate with one another yeah and like it can either be like uh, uh, Cardi B versus Nicki Minaj stands, or uh, you know K-pop fans, or anything else that like when you think of these rabid fan bases yeah. that organize and like almost militarize. Firefly had enough female fans and the internet, so that it became a fucking movement. Totally. Um, so Did that makes sense. <laughs> it yeah. does because I'm hyped up at- on nicotine lozenges. <laughs> Please don't dox me. <laughs> <laughs> so we've got now that we're done with the mansplain corner. Let's move on to uh, so so. I it- fucking live on mansplain <laughs> corner. All right, I have bought property. I am part of the neighborhood association. You're like you're like in the wire. You've like taken over that corner. Um, uh, it's now yours. So uh, Buffy, you should start an extra side bonus show called mansplain, mansplain corner. corner. Oh yeah, they'll everyone will love it. Buffy, huge. Angel, the spinoff, huge. Um, now, uh, Whedon's really, like, in in his workflow. Uh, I love this quote from him before we get into creating Firefly. The one thing a creator can bring to the table when everybody else has all the money and power is a centeredness and the ability to walk away. Never sit at a table you can't walk away from, which I think is a fucking Noise. dope phrase. So Yeah, because sometimes when I go to a diner, the booth, the tables are too close to the seats and my gut gets in the way. Don't sit yourself. there. Don't sit there. Gotta get the, you want to the, go to the bar. You got to go to the bar. The claws of life or whatever. The jaws of life. Um, 
So, Joss Whedon reads a book called The Killer Angels, which I mentioned before by Michael Shara, uh, about the four-day-long pivotal Battle of Gettysburg in the American Civil War. And uh, I'm I'm a low-key Civil War. I wouldn't say buff, but, I mean, my... my you're a fan. You're a yeah, fan I'm of the Civil a fan War. of the, the history of the Civil War. is very fascinating to me and has been a part of the, you know, a fascination for my family. Um, I ended up taking a Civil War class in high school uh, my senior year, and we uh, had to read Killer Angels. And, man, if you were going to read a book about the Civil War, read this book. It is so well written. It is so fascinating. The, the lore is incredible. The characters are incredible. And it all happened. Um and he was greatly inspired by it. And, of course, if you know the story of Firefly, this is the premise, essentially, is that war happening and talking about the people who lost. Um, luckily, uh, I don't believe there's any slavery involved in their uh, part of the losing stuff. Right. He just wanted to have the losing side. Yeah, without the whole without sort of, the races, any of that um, kind of thing happening. Uh, so, in fact, the opposite of that, very eclectic, for the, especially yeah. for the time, I feel like. No, the alliance is very, same with, like, galactic empires. Mm-hmm. All, like, they're all, like, I want to say they're all white except for the main yeah. actual mm. uh, mm-hmm. character who represents the alliance. In <laughs> but, the yeah, movie. they're all but in gray. That, they yeah. have, like, that Hugo Boss aesthetic. Yeah. yeah. They, well, and they were very, not. it was very not. Nazi inspired, even like the the costumes and stuff, and the, the yeah, they had all the Starship Troopers. Armor. And yes, they did. I was I have that written down in here. Yeah, they actually got the the um their helmets and stuff. Were I knew that shit looked familiar. Directly I ripped. Yeah, they used the actual uh soldier costumes from Starship Troopers, ah, which rules. I love my that brain movie. is so poisoned by the modern world that even rewatching the show, like with the Alliance Independence like fight. In my head, I'm always just like, I bet the append- like the independents were like anti-vaxxers or something. I bet it was over some real stupid shit. Would you like to know more? Uh, so Whedon said he wanted it to be a stagecoach kind of drama. He loved the film Stagecoach, uh, with a lot of people trying to figure out their lives in a bleak pioneer environment. Oh, that's hilarious. Because you remember from our Star Trek episode, the actual pitch that L. Ron Hubbard, like the one-page memo, first line is, it's stagecoach in space. <laughs> <laughs> um, he also wanted to put out a take on sci-fi that was more character-driven, that was uh, more gritty than most other TV sci-fi shows, uh, and uh, which he felt were too pristine and refined, just even the, how fancy and shiny all the, the ship is and everything like that. Around this time, we had like Babylon 5, Star Trek Voyager, Star yep. Trek Enterprise, and fucking Kevin Sorbo's Andromeda. Andromeda, uh-huh. oh my god. So, like, the, <laughs> the sci-fi scene did need a shake-up. Um, and he brings on Tim, is it Minier or Minier? I thought it was Minier. Minier. Tim Minier as the showrunner to lead uh, production and serve as head writer. Uh, Whedon said, Minier understood the show as well as any human being and just brought so much to it, and I think of it as though he were always a part of it. Uh, so Fox immediately starts fighting over Whedon um, uh, in terms of he wants to film it in widescreen format. Uh, I thought this was one of the more fascinating things. He he intentionally forced the issue by by shooting the actors a lot of times on each Too edge of the screen yeah, yeah, yeah. so that they could not even force it to be in standard format after the fact. Uh, and this is uh, just immediately off the bat. Things are just totally shitty with Fox. The pilot is rejected. Um, and it is the pilot that if you go on like Hulu or get the box set, that will be the first episode you will see. But that is not the first episode viewers saw if they watched it from the very beginning. Um, they felt like it was not actiony enough. Not it wasn't um, 
you know, it wasn't they wanted too to much be, story. They wanted to be funnier. They wanted to be yeah, it's a whole it was ridiculous. Oh, you mean the scene they don't want their fun action sci-fi romp to have a scene where everybody contemplates committing suicide because they're about to get assaulted by space rapists? <laughs> <laughs> like openly holds guns in their hands and thinks part. to themselves, yeah, I should do it. That gonna... part was great. It's amazing. it's amazing. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. I'm saying but I think like, it's one of the best pilots. Like, that was it's insane. So it's incredible. When they're, like, yeah. when they're like, what will the re- re- Reavers? Reavers. Reavers. Reavers do? And they're just like, oh, they'll rape you to death. No, and oh, no. The line is so. On... God, I almost want to look it's up the like, line because it's so perfect. They're like, <laughs> they'll rape you to death, eat your bones, and then use your skin in their clothing. And if, if you're, you're lucky, lucky in, in, that order. in that order. <laughs> and, and, and yeah, I was like, damn. And, and that was one of the first moments besides like, um, uh, you know, uh, who getting shot, the engineer getting shot, mm-hmm. uh, which I believe happens in the first episode, or right? Yeah. And um, either way, but there was like a few of those in the very beginning. I was like, oh, this show is not fucking around. First of all, she's not just the engineer. She's fucking Kaylee, and I would die <laughs> to protect her. She's great. She is actually, she's great. I mean, I like every actor in the show. Though. They're all true. killing it. Um, so they say, hey, we need a new pilot. They also say that on Friday morning, and they demand it. For Monday morning, and if you've ever written anything ever, you've got to understand how fucked that is. Uh, Minier said they couldn't see in their head what an hour of this show would look like and told us they weren't sure we'd get a pickup. Joss and I said we'd write a first episode over that weekend before the announcements, and they said okay. Then we asked ourselves, are we crazy? Can we do this in two days? But we spent two days at Joss's mutant enemy office, his his company, production company's mutant enemy productions, where we broke the story and each wrote half of the episode. And by Monday morning, we had written the train chop episode, uh, which uh, they had to actually end up filming that one in both widescreen and standard formats. Uh, because they knew that the DVDs they were going to eventually release in widescreen, mm-hmm. uh, but they did it in standard to appease uh, Fox. I mean, th- that pilot episode, the the Serenity uh, pilot, yeah, cost like seven million dollars. They also, it's, it's not just it was like two hours. Yeah, it was, yeah, it's like an hour and forty five or whatever. So like that is an independent Fox just dropped an independent film that like we just said was shot specifically to spite them yes <laughs> so like already they're off on the wrong foot yeah awful um, and, and the train job is a fun episode i love sure. i first fell in love with it yeah because like, i think i saw train job i remember i watched train job when it aired okay. and then i lost track of the show until i fell but you for don't it. know yeah. who any of these people are. yeah right but this but it relies so well on the trope of a train high. like that was what, which is that and was I, so it, smart it is it to is totally that. great yeah. yeah especially when we're introducing a western right Every you know, so many westerns have that. I train mean, heist. Solo just stole it. Like, yeah, and I love Solo, but like that, the idea of space train heist is yeah. like gold. <laughs> <laughs> um, and there's really good comedy moments in that, and and it's it's for sure great. But I do feel like I learned this, I think, after I had watched the pilot, which I felt I which I felt was a perfect introduction mm-hmm. of our entire cast. Gets you revved up to see them go on adventures like the train job it just i felt like it did so many things well that and i get and i see the network responding the way they responded after watching it because it definitely it's got a different vibe and pace from a lot of the shit you see on tv yes period it didn't follow the standard four five act formula that you want a pilot to follow yeah and it's long it's not it doesn't do save the cat like crystal clear right but that that 
the monologue from the doctor about you know when he's like I'm a you know mm-hmm. I'm this I'm this brilliant person and then talking and introducing the the uh, his sister's story was just re- a really cool moment. Um, Which and that's the climax of part one too, yeah. right? Like you don't even meet River until mm-hmm. that's yeah. the big reveal that would be the to be continued. If it, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh god. So let's talk about the Serenity, the ship. The ship was built in two parts as a complete set with ceilings and practical lighting by production designer Carrie Meyer. Um, and with the two parts, the second unit could shoot in one section while the first unit and the actors were shooting in another. But we didn't also liked it because it allowed the viewer to define the space better, while actors could actually use it more mm-hmm. like a theatrical play. There is a great shot in the pilot where Mal is in his uh, captain's quarters. He climbs up a ladder, walks through a hallway, and goes directly to yeah. like the bridge of the ship. And it's a real place. Yes. Yeah. yeah, it's so much more tangible. It's so much more easy to see it. The actors would hang out in the like break kitchen room. break room yeah. rather than their own dressing room and green room. Like yep. they would just hang out like that was there because they also just enjoyed each other so much from the very beginning. It's so sad. We'll talk about it. Um, uh, but yeah, it, and he was going for this documentary feel a little bit too. Who's kind of trying to infuse that in, and it just so having a f- complete full set mm-hmm. to work with just helped all of that happen. Um, and of course, he wanted it to look beat up and lived in. Each room evoked elements of the character that spent the most time in it, which I thought was pretty interesting. Uh, and um, there were several elements that were very Asian inspired, design wise. There's you know the whole situation of it's essentially so America and China in the lore or whatever are essentially the two superpowers that merge to create the alliance, and that's why so much of the look and feel of stuff has this Asian inspiration in terms of its designs. So for what's going to actually happen yeah. in a few years. <laughs> in a few generations, we'll all be speaking Chinese. Yeah, exactly. Swearing in it. Yeah. And then you'll get to be a space, space cowboy, Jared. Oh, man, no, I'm dying. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I guess <laughs> Damn it, we don't say Goram, we say I caramba like Americans. <laughs> hey, everybody, it's me, your woolly wizard, Jake, here to talk about this week's sponsor, Hawthorne. Folks, how are you smelling these days? Because if your immediate answer wasn't damn good, you might want to try upgrading your life with a personalized box from Hawthorne.co. Because honestly, if you've been using the same stick of drugstore deodorant that you've been slathering on your armpits since high school, your whole deal is about to get so much better with Hawthorne. All I did was take a short two-minute quiz at Hawthorne.co. You know, simple questions like your morning routine, how often you shower, even some fun questions like what's your favorite drink order on a night out on the town. And a few days later, I received a box that had great smelling colognes, luxurious shampoo and body wash, and so many more products that were personalized just for my needs. And now, I mean, I smell great. I've been wearing the woody and aromatic play cologne that was picked for me. And now my fiance is telling me that I actually smell good instead of her usual greeting. Hey, why does your beard smell like Velveeta? It's good to smell good. It's good to have smooth, clean skin. It's good to take care of yourself. And if those are things you have trouble with in the past, Hawthorne makes all of it super easy. It's simple. Just take the quiz, check out the two great smelling colognes that they recommend just for you. And if you don't like them, they have free returns and free shipping. It's very easy. It's very cool. Check out Hawthorne at hawthorne.co. That's Hawthorne spelled with an E at the end. And use our promo code WIZARD to get 10% off your first purchase. That's H-A-W-T-H-O-R-N-E dot C-O. And use our promo code WIZARD to get 10% off your purchase. 
hawthorne.co. Um, and now we get to this amazing cast. Um, uh, the the chemistry, obviously, it was incredibly important when Whedon was casting it. Sean Mayer, who was, uh, played Dr. Simon Tam, said, so then he just sort of put us all together, and I think it was very quick. Like, right out of the gate, we all instantly bonded. They talk about how they went to dinner. They had this nice dinner together and just immediately were just, like, slamming wine and hanging out like they'd known each other for years. Joel State said, we liked each other so much we would spend our weekends together. It was usually at Nathan's house, swimming in the pool and playing Pictionary, which is, all right, if you've ever been on a TV or movie set, you're there for fucking hours around these people. The idea that you would want to hang out with them (laughs) on the weekend is obscene to me. The idea that Nathan could afford a pool in LA before this show is absurd (laughs) to me. (laughs) Um, Yeah, this was, so this was Nathan Fillion's uh, lead, first leading role. Um, and of course, it's the role of Mal. Uh, Fillion grew up in Canada, where he started out performing in theater, TV, and film locally before moving to NYC in 90, 1994. The reason why he was able to afford a pool, Jared, and that's that's because he had a regular um, uh, series role on One Life to Live, uh, oh, the soap yeah. opera in the mid '90s. He did that for a few years, and if you know anything Get about soaps, exist. Yeah, that's money. In the soap bank. work is you are getting you are rich if you get a regular role on a soap um so uh yeah he did that for a few years he ends up moving to la after that wanting to get you know probably more interesting work he gets a supporting role in two guys a girl and a pizza place uh as well as a spot in spielberg's saving private ryan um which i don't remember him in that I don't either yeah I he, hope that's a correct fact i think it is i've remember okay. seeing clips a lot, of, probably a lot of people probably died yeah saving private ryan probably walked off yeah. the boat brains blown out so <laughs> Uh, Firefly, though, as I said, first lead role, and he calls it the best acting job he ever had. He compares all jobs to this job. It was just the greatest, he said. As does everyone who watches anything he does. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Philly said, on the soap, uh, One Life to Live, uh, there were times you got to work and said, I got to say this. I said this last week. It's the weakness of the genre. You're left saying goofy things every once in a while, but going into work for Firefly was a pleasure every day. Um, also about uh, the character of Mal, he said he is heroic in a way, but in the same way as single parents are heroic. Single parents, parents in general, are heroes. You take a single parent, they're doing it by themselves, they've got no help, it's just them with their family holding it together. So there's Malcolm Reynolds. What, they got stolen? Somebody kidnapped them? Not my family. He goes and he gets them. That's what a parent does. That's what people do. They keep their family together. There's something heroic about them. He's just doing what he knows to be right. Um, And also, he said, something I learned from Firefly, from Joss, is take a hero, take that big guy, the captain, kick him square in the nuts, and now everybody knows. Oh, yeah. Right in the engine. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah. Captains get kicked in the nuts, too. And I think that's a great, that's some great advice, I think, for writing approach. I love it. In general. Um, Morena Baccarin was a last-minute recast as Inara, and it was her first TV show ever. Uh, Alan Tudyk is the guy that you've recognized from everything. We were watching, um, I was watching with Lexi, and she was just like, he's, uh, he's everywhere. Yeah, she's like, he's, I know he's in everything. Like, you just always see him. He's the pilot. Um, he, uh, a, a couple of great examples. If you haven't seen this movie, please see this movie. He plays Tucker in Tucker and Dale versus <laughs> yeah. Evil. And it's like so good. He's such a funny actor. He's really, really strong. Uh, Pastor Veal in Arrested Development. He's the voice of King Candy in Wreck-It Ralph. He has an illustrious voiceover career as KD well. KD in Rogue One. Uh-huh. Um, he is Hey, Hey, the Chicken in hey, Moana. Hey, hey, the Chicken. It's, uh, it's yeah, he's, he's doing BB-8 fine. I think BB-8 too, isn't he? 
no, that's, no, he's S S C. Uh, he's the he's the sassy robot in in uh, Rogue One. KT. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, and yeah, he uh, so good in that movie. Um, so uh, yeah, uh, incredible career. A uh, what? Ben Schwartz. Ah. Yes. Uh, BB-8. His BB-8. Doesn't BB-8 just go like Doesn't Hey Hey just go like whatever? Like just a gig. Um, Holden, can you give us a take three? Um, I wish I had jobs like that. That would be so much fun. Uh, so Gina Torres is a veteran of fantasy and sci-fi productions, including Alias and Hercules, and was drawn to the story. She said, you had these challenged characters inhabiting a challenging world, and that makes for great storytelling. And no aliens, which was actually a big deal for Firefly, that you didn't have these yeah. mutant gloop monsters coming in. Because even the re- uh, uh, Reavers are human. Right, yes. and and they're just humans, that and you saw... never see them yeah. until the movie. Yeah, they're humans that saw the nothing, and it made them lose their minds. Is that correct? Well, well, uh, you well, learn other did, things. Yeah, okay. I didn't. I, I have to admit, and this is why we have fucking Jared on the show. So don't fucking yell at me. <laughs> I didn't get to see Serenity. Oh, I will watch what? it. I'll watch it. It's I've... uh important. I'll get there. <laughs> what? Did you have one of your friends have a wedding or something? <laughs> what? What distracted you this week? I'll get there. Um. What else do we have? Adam Baldwin was hired uh, uh, as the hired mercenary Jane Cobb. He grew up loving westerns, watching them with his dad, so it was easy for him. Jewel State engineer Kaylee uh, is uh, she sent my love a, right? Yeah, is she my the one? love is she the crush? Yeah, not Inara. I, I do. Inara's. I mean Inara, but like like I could hang with Kaylee. Like Inara, I would yeah. just be like, I would be like all the boys that hire her in the right. show. Like um Ooh. um. <laughs> Uh, she sent a tape in from Canada, started working in TV at the age of nine. So, wow. uh, but No, well, I mean, you, she's the girl from Space Cases yeah. on yeah. Nickelodeon, which it's is crazy. insane that she ended up. She did like Are You Afraid of the Dark episodes. Mm-hmm. It was, yeah, yeah. Her and Ryan Gosling. Ryan Gosling, yeah. yeah. <laughs> she's, oh, she's been working. Um, and then Sean, and I, I'm sorry, I have to introduce all of the ensemble, main ensemble cast because they're so vital to what this show is. Sean Mar, Maher? Started out with uh, a reoccurring role on the show Party of Five. Um, Summer Glau was on Angel for an episode. Glau said about Joss Whedon, he has such a different style from anyone I'd read or auditioned for. He let me be myself. Um, Naked in a box. (laughs) In a box. Ron Glass, who plays the priest, started out as early as 1972 on the TV show Sanford and Son. Wow. Yeah. And then he was on the cop show. Uh, Cops? No. <laughs> yeah, he was, he yeah, was he running from arrested. the cop. Yeah. <laughs> it's real traumatic. Firefly really let him turn he's like, around. He says the line, I don't think that taser will work on me. <laughs> and then something happens. Um, Yeah, but he was on a cop show. I can see. I think he's like just been in again. He's kind of His like, arc is great on it. the show, too. Like uh-huh. You get a glimpse of it in Serenity slash the fake real first episode where he just like kung fu palm strikes the Fed. Yeah. Uh-huh. And then nobody acknowledges it after that. Uh-huh. Oh. So, Whedon's so good. I feel like everybody does that now, but he was so good at just being like, here's a little hint. Yeah. <laughs> Not going to talk about it for a while. Nice. But when we bring it up, you're going to be like, oh, yeah. So uh, we have a really good overview of the writing process, and I think that would be fascinating for people. Anyone interested in writing on a television staff, I definitely loved that this was laid out by Jane Espenson, who wrote an essay about Mutant Enemy Productions' writing process. So they have a meeting, and usually it's Joss Whedon, who tosses out an idea and the group brainstorms to develop the central theme and character development. 
Then they uh, have another meeting where they break up the story into acts and scenes with a focus on how they get viewers to stick with them through commercial breaks. If you notice when you watch the show, um, every time it breaks for a commercial is always this like reveal cliffhanger you go you know, somebody yeah. yeah someone jumps out of a you know thing and punches you in the face or something and you're like ah, i gotta know what happens to my mal <laughs> um please people come on so then they uh, uh espenson said finding these moments in the story help give it shape Think of them as tent poles that support the structure. The scenes then get written up on a whiteboard, each with a brief description, and a writer is chosen to outline the episode with some dialogue and jokes over the course of a day. This is then given to Tim Minier, who uh, revises it over a day himself. Then the writer takes the revised outline, writes the first draft, which is submitted for revision within 3 to 14 days, which is a big disparity. I guess some people get theirs done in three days, and it takes two weeks for others. Um, so then they submit for feedback, then they do a second and sometimes a third revision, and then that is when they finally get to the shooting draft, um, which I, th- that, that's a lot of, I didn't realize like just how much prep happens before a script is even, uh, even at like all reading written by a writer. writer. How do you get? Meniere's, I mean, be a good writer and write a bunch of stuff. Well, but like he's the, done. He's a producer yeah, guy. He like everything. he's uh, American Horror Story. Like he's he's been doing shit from in Hollywood for but, years. Yeah. But just the job of like, okay, I get to sit in a room and brainstorm and come up with the ideas with like a great staff. Yeah, and then they go do all the fucking right. mindless, not mindless, but like excruciatingly hard work of yeah. putting words on a page, and then I get to read it and be like, mm, I'm just gonna fix that. Yeah, and then go do it again. Not even I'm going to fix this up. This is how you need to fix this up. (laughs) Uh, From what I understand from talking to enough people, uh, it's you get one job that you are not qualified for, that you had no right to get through sheer ass backwards luck, and you just happened to have knocked it out of the park. Well, the man, that's (laughs) every job I've had, so I feel like I'm on the right track for this. Um, the music was composed by Greg Edmondson with specific moments and characters having their own themes. For example, the song and show theme Serenity plays whenever the cr- crew returns to their ship or they have a secret meeting together. And that's um, uh, the slide guitar and the fiddle. These are portable instruments to kind of get the idea that these people are like nomadic um, and it suits the crew's lifestyle. It evokes that Western feel. Also, um, they mix like cowboy guitar with Asian sounds to give that social melting point. I don't yeah, I don't know a better phrase than Asian sounds, but you know what I mean. You know, so soundings like a Asians. You know, like bullet trains and gongs, Asian shit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and Joss Whedon actually wrote the Ballad of Serenity lyrics. Yeah. That made me cringe. I don't know why. <laughs> he wrote he wrote those before the pilot was even green. I don't know why. I mean, it's like I feel like it's absolutely one of the worst theme songs ever, (laughs) and I love it with all. Yeah, what is there's There's something about it, like objectively, it's pretty cringeworthy. But like, how can you not love it? It's perfect. Can't take it from me. <laughs> Sitting on space porch. The costumes, which are great, especially well, it's uh, it's it's uh, you can take my love, you can take my land, uh, take me where I cannot stand. Yes, I don't the, care. I'm still free. You can't take the sky from me. Can't take the sky from me. Yeah, but earned it's, my yeah. fucking <laughs> spot at the mic with that one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. So the costumes, which are you know, Mal's costume especially, is now iconic. Um, the, that was done by, at first, Jill O'Hannison for two episodes, and then the rest was done by uh, Shauna Tripsik. 
it was influenced by World War II, the American Civil War, and the American Old West. And uh, also, uh, you know, 1861 Samurai Japan. Because, yeah. you know, um, there were deep reds and oranges used for the main cast to give a feeling of home again. That the, the, going back to what the music that the theme of Serenity. I think I have like an autumnal God, but like an autumnal aesthetic because of that show. Yeah, like the, the how they used orange earth, and earth, earth tones, tones. Yeah, like clicked so hard for me in a sci-fi thing that like that's how, any home decoration I've ever done has been like how do I make it more brown? Yeah, and soft. Yeah, <laughs> totally. It is that comfort, and then of course uh, the Alliance had all blues and grays. Um, and uh, that was to give you that sense of contrast. Like, uh, literally, the Firefly, the ship, uh, Serenity, the ship, Firefly class. I'm in it. I got it. It's I a fire class it. vessel. A tra- it's a transport ship. Doesn't even have guns. Raider. Uh. Um, the engine gives off actual, like, sunbeams. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas the Alliance ships are just this, like, green, horrifying right. glow stick. <laughs> Ickiness. And of yeah. course, the firefly it looks kind of like a firefly. Uh, yeah, with a well. glowing. You can Which just you say think, glowing yeah. butt. Yeah, yeah, it has a glowing ass. So you're immediately a kid, like chasing a thing, and it, like it's just the most evocative of like home ease comfort. Right. It's right. Just nice. And and it's nice in a space, literally space that is the opposite of right. what that should evoke. Right. Yeah. Which I think they do a, a pull a really nice magic trick with that. So let's talk about the um the, the how this show was doomed from the beginning <laughs> and, had no and, chance whatsoever uh so the show runs starting in september of 2002 and the episodes are released by fox uh completely out of the intended order no no because there's, there's a if you pay attention there's actually a season-wide arc that really reaches a fever pitch and rewards uh viewers for coming back every week you're saying they just threw that out the goddamn window yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes uh starting with the train job broadcast first the pilot was aired as the final episode, apparently, um, due to. Uh, Is it yeah. the final episode on? Because there were three episodes well, now that it's never really, aired. Yeah, so yeah. there were three episodes that didn't come out because they canceled them on episode eleven. So was Firefly so the would... last, or was Serenity the last WB aired, or did I, Sci-Fi air at last after they picked it up? I think maybe the WB. Fox. Fox aired or, or Fox. I'm sorry. Fox, Fox aired yeah. Buffy, yeah. the yeah. finale as a two-hour special event. Of this <laughs> thing that we oh, fucked hard. Yeah. Can we tell? Okay, uh, there's all these scheduling things, all this rat fuckery, but just on a basic competency level, uh, the way they promoted this show, as if it was just the most frivolous, cheap bullshit, fundamental misunderstanding of, of what it was. The concept. Yeah. yeah. If anything, this was like a prestige show. It was expensive. It was dramatic. It had a long season arc. This should have been like their flagship show that season. And I don't even remember what they prom- what like was more important to Fox that year. Either like uh, something probably called like target or like uh oh fuck actually fast lane i believe Ugh. Uh, who even remembers that no i know there was some quote by one of the actors that was like yeah well they don't have fucking conventions for fast lane now uh fucking morons but i i i found this online uh mary i'll i'll make sure you have the right clip to put in here but it's the uh fox like this was their this was their shot this was like hey we have this gold thing we have this amazing show Everybody, check it out. This is their promo. Uh, if you recognize the music, yes, that is Walking on the Sun yes. by Smash Mouth. It's this atrocious. Is... Take a six shooting spaceman. Bring it on. Pilot Savant. Who's flying this thing? 
All right, that would be me. Tough guy named Jane. Oh, you only got to scare him. Pain is scary. Cosmic hooker. How's business? None of yours. And a girl in a box. What do you get? The most twisted new show on television. Let's move. Out there? Oh, it's out there. That's what makes us special. From the creator of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Firefly, the series premiere next week on Fox. Uh, this is a quote from Alan Tudyk. The promos that were done bothered a lot of people. When they promoted us on Fox, they used that Smash Mouth song, Walking on the Sun, which didn't represent our show at all. Their way of marketing didn't match the show we were making. I'll never forget when they, they first sent some of the promos to us. They used a scratch track for the voiceover, but the announcer mispronounced our names. So on the set, we started calling each other by those mispronounced names. <laughs> and of course, they were marketing it as this action comedy when it really, it was, you know, it has comedic elements, but it's not really that. Um, Tudyk also said, we were, as a group of actors, what the show itself was. People who were completely outnumbered, but didn't give up. Um, and also, also from Tudyk, this was a terrible sign right from the start. Fox made us pay for our lunches. What? We have to go to the commissary to buy it, and that wasn't worked into the schedule. So we had to make it over there and eat in costumes sometimes, which was very weird. I've never had that experience again on anything else I've ever I've done. That's, <laughs> That's insane. Just, if you've ever, and again, if you've ever worked in the, you know, every... Every shoot I've ever done, like don't eat in costume for the That's cheapest like commercial. Rule one. Yeah, don't eat in costume and and also like Here's your food. <laughs> you get fucking definitely food. Like the cheapest for the internet commercial I've ever done, we got a nice lunch. Yeah. Oh weird. Is it the fact that like you actually need to have food in your belly to maintain just a baseline level of performance that a professional production would need? No, not in space. In <laughs> space, you just need space dust. Uh, also, this is from episode one, they were given the quote, this this term is so well known, it has not just a TV tropes page, an actual Wikipedia page, the Friday night death slot. Ah, yes, uh, of course, yes. The yes. idea being that uh, because humans are humans, the 18 to 35 year old demographic, the most lucrative demographic for advertisers, aren't home watching TV on Friday night. No, the yeah. people actually, who would be watching a sci-fi adventure fun show too. Yes. Yeah. The exact people that Firefly would be into, would love Firefly the most would be doing shit at this exact <laughs> hour. Uh, this is uh, known since like the 60s. This was known. Mm -hmm. uh, the reason why TGIF was TGIF was because it was explicitly sitcoms for parents and little kids. And that mm -hmm. was the only reason it could survive. Which is why people our age all remember them as being really good because yeah. it's what we watched when we were four. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Every show that like a network does not believe in gets dumped there. Or if it's a show and it's final season that's like waning in the graphics mm -hmm. uh, ratings, it gets dumped there. Like every every show that just kind of faded into nothing had its last episode on Friday night. And so like it's just and it's an expensive production and mm -hmm. they're just getting fucking slammed the in the ratings. The ratings are absolutely terrible. Fox cancels after 11 out of the 14 completed episodes were aired. Tim Minier said... That day, we got canceled as one I'll never forget. I was directing an episode called The Message and had the whole cast on the bridge of the Serenity. Joss showed up, pulled me aside, and said, we're dead. We're canceled. I asked if we should tell everyone or keep shooting. We decided to tell everyone, stop shooting, and come back the next day. He made the announcement, and everybody went out to get rip-roaring drunk. <laughs> Man. What a job they had. Oh, my God. And so, yeah, just devastating for everybody. They Again, also, not yeah. to get too far, they also, like, the notes Fox would give them were right. just ridiculous. Like, they 
really wanted Mal. They wanted it to be more lighthearted, but they also wanted Mal to shoot more people. Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's and then they like couldn't same accept story. that Zoe and Wash were together because they wanted Zoe and Mal to be like a thing because the hot oh. people should hook up. Uh-huh. Wow, it would be so much less interesting. It wouldn't. Yeah. It? Think of all those dynamics that would just be thrown away. <laughs> so this is what Summer Glau had to say about um I'm cold. Someone please give me pants. Someone, Someone please give me clothes. Give me shoes. Uh, she said, a year after the show was canceled, I got invited to go to England for a convention. I didn't know what conventions even were at the time. Joss tried to explain it to me because he had so much experience with them through Buffy and Angel. I remember going and just being blown away by how many fans come at, came out to support a show that hadn't lasted a year. Then it all snowballed. Now, every so often at a convention, someone will get a marriage proposal right in front of me. People will tell me they've had Firefly-themed weddings. I've even been invited to a few, which is the highest honor. Um, So, that brings us to Serenity. Serenity, after trying to get the show on another network and failing, Whedon sells it as a film. He was actually working on a film script to round it all up as soon as the show was canceled, pretty much. Uh, Whedon hits up uh, Barry Mendel over at Universal Studios and straight up just asked him for a film deal. And an exec over there named Mary Parent was a Firefly fan, or at least had watched the show when it was on TV and enjoyed it, and quickly signs on uh, for the project. Whedon said, Universal came in where I thought nobody else would, and quite frankly, I'm not sure anybody else would have with absolute faith and has maintained it. It's been the easiest process in terms of dealing with a studio that I've ever had. And they turned it into not a blockbuster, which is not what I was trying to make, but not a low-budget movie either. They wanted to make a real movie out of it. They wanted to give us the scope that the show could never have had. So all I had to do was come up with a story that was worth that. Um, And uh, it also helped that the Firefly DVD set sold out in less than 24 hours after the announcement of a presale. That's how much popularity it generated just over a year. To be at that moment in fandom on, like, I don't know what version of the web this was in, like, 2002, but, uh, like, you're starting letter-writing campaigns. You're buying DVDs en masse. Yeah, it's not just hashtags yeah. and, like, feeling proud of yourself for tweeting. It's, like, yeah. you – it's a second – it's, like, a part-time job. And it was, yeah, Kickstarter doesn't effort. exist. Indiegogo doesn't exist. Patreon doesn't exist. There's no way to directly support the thing you love, uh, unlike today, which is wonderful. Go to patreon.com slash whisper. Uh, <laughs> but you used to have to beg studios. Beg – do Literally just like. show up to a Best Buy and just <laughs> r- leave with armfuls of DVDs because there's nothing else you can do. Um, in the uh, fandom documentary, uh, someone talked about how at the restaurant they managed, they would every single dollar bill that they had, she would stamp with a bring back Firefly stamp wow. and put them into wow. circulation. Like the amount of insanity and devotion that these fans poured into this show and then got rewarded for mm-hmm. it was like, there's a reason it's it's a cultural weird landmark moment in fandom that like this level of organization and shrieking managed to actually get something. One done. that we're still paying for to this day. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, they um, uh, the greatest challenge that you said he did so masterfully was to t- just introduce all of these characters and this world to everybody who is newcomers but also not bore the pants off of the people that uh, have been fans of the show before walking into the theater. Which I think he did by, like, first of all, it was such a cool narrative trick to do, like, dream sequence that's a memory that's, like, a setup for, like, to jump back the way the movie 
you don't know. Uh, <laughs> the movie starts real cool. <laughs> I'm excited to see it. Well, now I don't want to spoil it because I'm I watching know, the I know. I'm show. like, what can I say? No, no, no. You can talk about it openly. I'm kidding. Yeah, yeah. You can totally. It did get into kind it. of feel like the X Files movie, though. Like it was weird. I'm like, I am watching a TV show movie in a theater. Yeah, that's always going to feel kind uh-huh. of. But they also the movie part of what part of what I think makes this whole franchise work for me anyway is that jump in quality not saying that the movie is inherently better than the show but it's a change in Mm -hmm. aesthetic like the show is so leaning on western and they like kind of lean more towards sci-fi like they keep the western themes and the western like ideals in the movie but the movie feels much more sleek feels much more like produced and that to me i don't know that just jump in expectation like you go in and you you remember the show and it's like kind of i mean it's an expensive show but it's like part of its charm is it's like a little ragged and then you go see this like all of a sudden in the movie the mule can fly like it's like oh wow it's not just they like strung this together they've Uh like really invested in telling a complete story here yeah uh shooting began in june of 2004 with a low budget of 39 million and filmed for 50 days, mostly at the Universal Studio sound stages. Um, and yeah, um, uh, anything else to say about Serenity? I have a couple of fun quotes to wrap things up. But, uh, uh, I was I was young at the time, but like the uh, Chiwetel's performance as like what what is the Inquisitor, whatever the operative, the operative who's just like this is a good death. Yes. You should be proud. <laughs> this is fantastic. <laughs> like. Blew my mind. I had never seen that kind of version of, like, begrudging, following orders. But unstoppable. And he's got such an interesting arc, too. Like, not to, again, spoil it, but, like, I love where that character is at the end of the movie. As opposed to where, like, 99% of villains end up. And uh, that final shot, or that that big fuck yeah moment, where it's uh, uh, Serenity warping in with all hell running behind it. Oh, yeah, yeah, which... Like, iconic. Amazing. Something that I, like, want to talk about, too, briefly, if we can, too, is just, like... No! Okay. (laughs) Uh, I just love that, like, tied to Civil War, so much of what Firefly and Serenity is about is existentialism, which I think is really neat. Um, The final episode that aired, and, like, the final chronological episode, Objects in Space, which is about a bounty hunter kind of trying to capture River off the ship... It's like the weirdest episode because it's very ethereal and kind of through River's point of view, but it explores how you can disassociate objects from their meaning. And that ends up being so much of what the show and the whole franchise is about. And like how, because like when you casually talk about existentialism, you think it's just about getting rid of meaning and things. But what Firefly really emphasizes is then the further point of existentialism is to then you can endow mm. something with its own meaning that you choose, which is mm-hmm. very empowering, which is like, which what, they, I mean, the whole crew is endowed as yeah. family, yeah. by you know, in this way. And the ship is a home yeah. and like, and yeah, there's like moments in that episode objects in space that like specifically they focus on summer Glau barefoot walking through the ship because she yeah. can feel it. And then she can create her own meaning around what these things are. And, and I did catch that episode. Yeah. It's a yeah. good one. And that then the, good. the ending of the movie, I think just one of the best uh, quotes like Mal's little speech to uh, river at the end of the Serenity movie is just like this lovely little bit of what love and what love is and how existentialism can let you define it. Huh. Like, Conversely really though, great. when you think about existentialism and as it relates to Firefly, um, 
I liked it when Jane had to wear that funny hat. I did ah, like that too. Very interesting. Sean Mayer uh, said this uh, about uh, after the movie came out. We went to Comic-Con in San Diego to promote the film in 2004, and Joss had cut together a preliminary trailer for the fans. The cast stood backstage while he played it, and I remember the roaring of the crowd was like something you'd hear in a sports arena. We walked on the stage one by one, and it was overwhelming. I was holding Morena Baccarin's hand, saying, holy shit. She responded with, fucking crazy, right? <laughs> I love her. I love it. And uh, Tim Minier had this to say. The biggest sign that the show never really disappeared was five years ago when we did a panel at Comic-Con after having been off air for 10 years. I remember looking at my hotel window the night before and seeing a line around the block that turned out to be for us. Fans had spent the night out there. It was so packed in the hall the next day that they were turning people away. The enthusiasm was amazing. Comic-Con is not usually about nostalgia, which I think is nah, no, no. It's about what's the next big thing that's about to be launched. And yet all these people showed up for this in this big hall to see an old canceled shows cast and writers. So that was so cool. And I think that's it. Do you have anything else to say? Um, any more fucking if disgusting? This, just, oh, Mal is my mouth. If we everything. haven't convinced you otherwise, please watch Castle. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, I, the one micro anecdote uh, is that Alan Tudyk was having trouble figuring out his character. And like he got dressed in, uh, in wardrobe and it was like, you know, this uh, ratty Hawaiian shirt. And then he looked over and saw that Joss Whedon was also wearing a ratty Hawaiian shirt. And he was like, I think I have figured out my I character. Uh, <laughs> that's hilarious. Um, uh, all right. Well, that's our episode on Firefly. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks uh, for having me. Yeah, guys. Jared. Thank you. This was you. a blast. Uh, this was great. And and uh, we hope we can have you on another episode of a thing that uh, you liked way more than I did as a kid. <laughs> Anytime you I... don't give a shit about something, <laughs> I, I probably have written fan fiction about it. So. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was great. Thank thank you so much for, for joining. Um, uh, yeah, uh, Jared, uh, talk about your bullshit. What do, you, do you have anything you'd like to... Uh, promote or anything uh nothing on the personal end right now but check out the dad.com yeah. pretty good dad humor where uh, don't don't promote the website who employs you on this podcast they don't <laughs> they don't pay it back they don't pay it back. i have nothing to, to talk about further no, but you do, yeah say, you do a lot of cool stuff over at the dad though, yeah I yeah it's like. uh i do a lot of uh it's you know content uh geared for dads we just came out with a dad uh, alphabet book and we're working on a dad <laughs> activity book but you do like Fortnite games with dads i do play Fortnite with the dads that's yeah. i mean that but that's it's, the on brand yeah, so, yeah it's yeah. cool yeah we uh we thought it'd be funny because everybody's kids play Fortnite. Right. And we're like ah we'll do the kids game right and now every thursday night uh there's a regular Fortnite tournament awesome. <laughs> where i like get on the land and like a bunch of dads in the midwest like yell at me because i don't know how to build if someone if a dad wants to find that is there a space they can go just uh, go to the just dad. Go to the facebook group the dad gaming it's uh, okay, uh, affiliated great. with the facebook group the dad cool uh, which has more followers so that might be easier to find but then we have a sub uh closed that organizes the dad gaming book. awesome and you'll see all the events posted that very way. cool so if you're a dad that wants to play Fortnite, i highly recommend with it with me i'm really good at it <laughs> and you're such a dad <laughs> um <laughs> but also uh yeah you can catch me twitch.tv forward slash holdnators ho jared i realized we have to get you back to f complete your dark souls 3 playthrough oh my god we yeah. totally need to we do that. Oh my god. now because he just moved back to new york so we, that had to be on I have hold. many things to catch up on. right so we will do that you can catch jared on that um and uh, Jake, uh, follow me on Twitter at Best Jake Young. And uh, hey, you know you got a computer in your hand. You're listening to this podcast. Why don't take a take a minute and leave a review on uh, iTunes or Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts 
or whatever. It helps with visibility, helps us, you know, get a little juice, get a little that Joss juice. And hey, uh, uh, remember to patreon.com forward slash whizbrew uh, monthly episode or weekly episodes for $5 a month. It's such a deal. It's really a steal. And um, and also please see us at our live shows. Yes. Uh, January December- 11th in LA. And then we've got December three- 11th in LA. December 11th. Sorry. And then January dates in the Midwest. Check that out. Um, if you're not in LA or the Midwest, commit crimes until they ask us to perform there. Uh, and keep bruising. And keep bruising. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors, you can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Yeah.